turn, if you would, this evening to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for the health and the strength to be able to be back in your house tonight. I do ask that you'd bless this time together in your word. God, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I think most of you know that we have spent the last three weeks now in this third chapter of Nehemiah. I've got to be honest and tell you, I never dreamed that we'd be here three weeks, and I certainly never dreamed that we would be here a fourth week. But as I was uh, preparing this week and uh, fully intending to move past the rest of the chapter and to make our way into chapter four, I felt like I was supposed to reread through the chapter at least one more time, and in doing so, uh, a verse of scripture that we'll look at in just a moment arrested my attention, and I'm sure that this has happened to you at some point in your life where you thought you knew something, and then you realized you didn't. You ever been there? Well, that was weak. You ever been at a place in your life where you thought you knew something, and then you realized, I don't know what I thought I knew? All right, we've all been there. So uh, anyways, uh, that happened to me this week as I was doing some studying. And I've got to be honest and tell you, all right, uh, in addition to uh, not knowing everything like I thought I did, uh, I'm somewhat, somewhat hesitant to preach this message because I think for many of us, this is going to go so counter to what our mind usually thinks and how we normally process things. Okay, uh, it's one of those things that it might be hard for us to uh, grasp. It might be hard for us to fathom, but it is, from what I can tell, an accurate approach. It is, from what I can tell, a right approach, or else I wouldn't be presenting it to you tonight. And I think it is something that could be very, very helpful. And so I think, to an extent, what we're going to have to do tonight is allow ourselves to be challenged challenged to th think in some ways that we would not normally think when reading through the Scripture. All right? So I, I want you to know that in a few minutes I, I may be saying some things, and you may be saying to yourself, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like that. I don't know. Well, just allow yourself to be challenged in your thought process the way I had to allow myself to be challenged and uh, realize that when we're reading through this portion of Scripture or any other portion of Scripture, that unless we are dealing with Christ the man, we are dealing with people every bit as much like you and I. You understand this, right? The only, the only character in Scripture that was superior to us or different than us was Christ. Outside of that, you were dealing with fallen individuals back then, just like we're dealing with fallen individuals today. So we get into our minds sometimes, oh, this must be how it was. This must be how everything was going on and how things were taking place. And sometimes what we perceive to be reality may not have been reality at all, you know, like it happens today. Uh, you know, sometimes we think we know what's going on and we've got it all figured out. And then once again, we find out, huh, that wasn't what I thought it was. So that being said, this evening I'm going to ask you a question. I'm just going to ask you a series of questions, actually. I want us to think about this, though, that over the course of our lives, you and I have engaged in hundreds, thousands, if not multiple thousands of projects over the course of our lives, right? We have done multiple, multiple, multiple things in our lives. And here is what we know. 
is that it can be done, whatever these projects are, we know that these jobs and these projects can be done with a good attitude, do we not? They can be done with a good attitude, if at the very least a neutral attitude. So I don't know what you're talking about, so let me just throw some things out at you and see if this makes sense. How many of us have ever gone to work with a good attitude? Most of us have, right? We've gone to work with a good attitude. We're, we're enjoying our job. We're enjoying the fact that we've got the health and the strength to be able to go to work. And, and we like what we do for the most part in general. So we, we go to work with a good attitude and we're thankful and, and we enjoy the day. And at the close of the day, we say, boy, that was a good day. It was productive. We got a lot done. And, and, and I'm thankful for the job that God's given me. We've all done that so many times. We've all done work around the house with a good attitude, have we not? Amen. You know, you got up in the morning and you had a job in mind that you were wanting to get done that day. There was something that you wanted to accomplish. And as you're getting the job done, you're just enjoying the process and you're enjoying the progress. And so you get done with your work that day at the house and you can look back and you can see what it is you've accomplished. And you say, man, that was a good day. And it's rewarding at those times, is it not? Right. It absolutely is. And the list and the examples, they could continue on for quite some time. You understand, whenever I'm saying this, that it is possible to enjoy what you are doing and to know the sense of satisfaction that goes with it, to know that sense of reward, and to just be grateful for that opportunity. We understand that. At the same time, I want to ask you something of a contrary nature or of a different approach, how many of us have ever gone to work mad? Like four of us. We've gone to work mad, right? You know, we, we got up in the morning and it may be something completely unrelated to your job, but you know what it's like sometimes to wake up still angry from the day before. No, brother, I don't let the sun go down on my wrath. Whatever. Whatever. You get up and you're still stewing about what happened yesterday. You're still processing everything that happened just a few hours earlier, whatever it may be. And you've gotten up and you've gone to work and you've gone to work pretty upset, pretty irritated, angry, whatever words you'd like to use. And while there could be many things that would influence your emotions and your feelings toward that, let's be honest, sometimes when we're going to work and we're mad, we're mad about what's going on at work. Sometimes you're mad at the person you've got to work beside, right? Sometimes you're mad because of a situation that you've been dealing with and it still hasn't been resolved. Sometimes you're mad because you know that as soon as you get there, you're going to be hit with the same issue you've been dealing with for quite some time. Let's face it, we can go to work mad and we can stay mad throughout the day based upon the circumstances surrounding our work environment. Let's be honest. We can get stuff done around the house while we're mad, can't we? Sometimes it's when we get the most work done. 
We're slinging things around. We're getting the house clean in ways that we have never got the house clean. We're cleaning out the car in ways that we have never cleaned the car out. We are vacuuming that carpet deep because we're pushing so hard, whatever it may be. It's one of those things where maybe the husband has made you mad or the wife has made you mad or the kids have made you mad. And you know what it's like to do work while you're angry, do you not? Some of you, you've got your halos on right now. You're just looking at me like, I don't know. We've all done it. Every one of us, we have worked when we were happy, when we were enjoying it, when it was an enjoyable process. And we have all worked when we were angry and frustrated and bothered and upset. And I'd like us to think about something for just a moment. That just because we're angry, and just because we're upset, and just because we're frustrated, doesn't mean that our quality of work has gone down. I mean, let, let's not suppose or, or suggest tonight that just because someone is mad, they can't do a good job. You can still do a good job while you're angry. But you and I both know this. It's not near as rewarding. You can go to work mad and you can get your job done and you can do what needs to be done. But whenever you leave at the end of the day, that day was not near as rewarding as the day when your attitude was right and your spirit was right and what it should be. You can get a lot of stuff done at the house when you're angry. You can get a lot of things accomplished when you're upset. All that can happen, and you can do a very good job. But every one of us have had those moments, if we're honest, where we have accomplished certain things, but because of our anger and our attitude and the spirit that we've been wrestling with, it did not have near the level of satisfaction it otherwise could. So why mention that? All right, well, in Nehemiah chapter 3, like I said already, we've been here longer than I expected we would. We have dealt with things that I really never had any intentions of doing. And so something that I have realized as I have slowed down in this look at chapter 3 is this, is that there is a lot more to this process of the rebuilding and the repairing of the wall than I understand. And there is more questions now that I have than what I had before whenever I thought I knew what was going on. So I don't understand what all took place. I don't understand what all happened. I know that so many different people were involved, and it involved the, the men of position and the men of clout. I know that it involved the daughters that we looked at last week and, and how they were a part of the process, at least in one area of the wall. And as all this has happened and as all this has taken place, here is what I also know, though I don't fully understand it, and that is this is that God was heavily involved in blessing this project because in chapter 6 it tells us this, that the rebuilding of the wall took place in 52 days. Friends, this was a serious wall. Though we don't know all the dimensions of it, though we don't know all the specs of it, this was a serious wall because it had to provide the protection for the city in the midst of an attack. And so we understand how important the, the strength of this wall would have been. We understand how serious it was for the people to do the job well. And so for this to be done in 52 days, there is no arguing when you consider their technology and what they had available to them by way of resources there is no arguing 
that God blessed in this process. There is no arguing that God blessed in this process, that God blessed in this project. Now here is where my brain thinks, and this is how my brain works sometimes whenever I read through the Scripture. And again, I know we've already alluded to this, but I think that, man, everything must have been great, and everything must have been wonderful, and everything must have been swell. And don't you know, whenever they were all going to the wall each day to get their part done, don't you know it was some type of utopian environment? You know, people walking by, hi, Bob, hi, Bob, how you doing? Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, Larry, good to see you. Hey, it's good to see you, ladies. So glad you're out here doing your job. That's kind of what I envision it being, you know, just one big happy construction site and everything getting done. So as I'm reading through the scripture this week, as I said, a verse kind of got my attention and it kind of surprised me. So verse number 20, notice what it says. After him and this progression of the portions of the wall being built, we have this man by the name of Barak, the son of Zabai, mentioned specifically. All right, so we have this man named Barak, and it says of Barak that he earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall into the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. So Barak is singled out in this tremendous list of people who were involved in this project. Barak is singled out as one who earnestly repaired the other piece. He earnestly repaired the other piece. Now, the word earnest is, some, is a word that I am somewhat familiar with. Okay? Whenever I think of the word earnest, though this is a dictionary definition, I would have been close to this by way of my thought. It means diligence or a measure of seriousness given to something, a project like this. Okay, so this idea of earnestness, it would be in my thought process, it would be in my mind that what it's talking about is a diligence or a measure of seriousness given to something like a project of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. So with that in my mind, I began asking myself this question. Was there not a measure of earnestness on the part of everyone who was involved in this project to get it done in 52 days with God's blessings. Doesn't this make sense? That, that you would assume that, that everyone would have been diligent, that everyone would have exercised a measure of seriousness as it related to this project. And so it then made me ask this question, well, if everyone was earnest, because no doubt they would have had to have been, why did this man get singled out? Why is it said of this man only throughout this list? Why is it said of this man only that he earnestly repaired this portion of the wall? So I thought to myself, I've got to dig a little bit deeper into this. What is the scripture saying? Because here is what we know in the Scripture 
words are not wasted. This was not just casually thrown in there and, and preserved all these years. So there has to be a reason for this. And so here is what I discovered is that, you know, English words and the definitions in the 21st century are not always the same as Hebrew words, say, several thousand years ago. Who would have thought? This word earnest, in the Hebrew, what does it mean? Well, it means this, to be hot, to be hot, to kindle, to be furious or angry. Think about that for just a moment. It means to be hot, it means to kindle, it means to be furious, it means to be angry. So whenever I consulted this resource that I have, that I consult every week for the study of, of sermons and trying to understand things, I, I read, And Barak, the son of Zabai, earnestly repaired the other piece with, with a heat, with the kindling of the, of the fury and of the anger. I, I thought to myself, boy, that's fouled up. Because nobody would have been hot and kindled and angry and furious. Because that doesn't happen, right? So here's what I did. I looked into it a little bit further. For those of you who would like to know, for those of you who might be somewhat interested in this, the word in the Hebrew that is translated here in our scripture as the word earnestly, it was used or it is used 90 times in the Old Testament in 87 verses. So this word in the Hebrew is translated in different ways throughout the Old Testament, 90 different times in 87 verses. And if I did the math right, it's something like 82 or 83 times, no, I'm sorry, 86 or 87 times, that this word is definitely associated with like the wrath or the fury of God or man, but it's almost always dealing with anger. Some kind of anger. You say, well, what about the other instances? It's dealing with someone who is fretting or worrying, and there is a measure of excitement associated with their anxieties or their nervousness. But again, the overwhelming majority, by like almost 100%, when this word is translated, it is almost always dealing with the issue of anger and fury and wrath and terror and things of that nature. So you read this, and it begins to shed light on this thought that Barak, the son of Zabai, he repaired this portion of the wall, but apparently he did so with a sense of anger or a sense of fury or maybe a sense of wrath or great frustration or an attitude. Now again, maybe I'm being somewhat repetitive here, but I'm going to say it one more time. 
again, I read this and I think, no, 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 that's not possible. That's not how it could possibly be. That's got to be wrong. That's got to be messed up. Surely there's some confusion in this. And yet I, I started thinking about this. Well, again, these are real people, are they not? They are absolutely real people. And what do real people struggle with sometimes? Attitudes, emotions, anger, frustrations, etc. So the scripture seems to indicate and seems to single out this one named Barak because it seems as though that while he did the work, he did so with a different spirit, with a different attitude, and a different disposition about himself. Did the high priest work? Yes. Did the, did the brethren of the high priest work? Yes. Did this man work? And did the sons of Gideon work? And, and did all these people work? Yes. But there seems to be something different about the disposition of Barak that his attitude being involved in the work was not at all what it was supposed to be. So then the question arises, at least from my little brain, the question arises, so did he do inferior work? Not necessarily. It's isn't really exciting, is it? Because maybe it's making us think differently than what we're used to. But did Barak do poor craftsmanship or poor quality of work just because the scripture seems to indicate that his attitude wasn't right. Not necessarily. See, just a moment ago, we said this, that we can go to work every day, and if we've got a bad attitude, we can still get the job done, right? We can still do what needs to be done. We can still be productive. We can still accomplish things. But it doesn't mean that the attitude and the spirit and the disposition was what it was supposed to be. So I want us to understand something here, that Barak, again, the scripture seems to indicate his spirit wasn't right, his attitude wasn't right, how, how he may have struggled with his emotions for whatever reason, we don't know. It doesn't mean that he did poor work because it would have needed to be done as well as any other portion of the wall. And yet here is what I found interesting in all this. As I tied the thoughts together in my mind, here is what I thought interesting. Go back to verse number 5. You might say to yourself, we have dealt with this repeatedly. I understand. But in verse number 5 it says this, And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. I'm just going to ask us one more time, though it's been four weeks in a row now, I'm going to ask us one more time, this work that was being done, whose work was it? It was the work of the Lord. We know that it was Nehemiah who led in the endeavor. We know that it was Nehemiah who led in the process. We understand that it was Nehemiah's leadership and all the work of everyone else that got this accomplished. But this was the work of the Lord that was being done, that was being accomplished. And though the majority of them, it appears, did the work with the right attitude, with the right spirit, with the right disposition, with the right mentality, it becomes obvious if we're going to be honest with the Scripture that there was at least one man involved in the work of the Lord whose attitude was not what it should have been. Whose spirit, let's listen, whose spirit and disposition was not at all 
what it should have been. Say, well, why is that important? Well, how have we tried to make application throughout the last few weeks? We've tried to make application in relation to the work of the Lord, correct? We tried to make application in relation to the work of the Lord for the last few weeks. So if we continue in that way of thinking, if we continue in that approach to application, I want us to think about the work of the Lord today that you and I are involved in. As we think about the work of the Lord today that you you and I are involved in, I want to throw something out there or out here to us to consider. Can the work of the Lord be done with the right attitude and the right spirit and the right disposition? Well, certainly it can. And we might even go so far as to say this, that's how it ought to be done. The work of the Lord, the work of the ministry that you and I are a part of, though obviously different than the wall that Nehemiah was rebuilding, whatever work that you and I are involved in, it ought to be done, let's listen, with the right attitude, a right spirit, a right disposition, a right mentality, a right heart. That is how it ought to be. But there's a question then to ask. Can the work of the Lord be done and still be accomplished, though it may be done earnestly with the definition of what it was in the Hebrew with some anger or some fury or maybe an attitude or a disposition or an emotion that is not appropriate? Can the work of the Lord still be done today earnestly, not in the sense of diligence and taking a measure of seriousness to the task at hand, but can, listen, can the work be done while a person is angry? So I'm just going to let you know the answer is yes. So what do you mean, Brother Kyle? don't know if you'd know this or not, but sometimes church is not a utopian environment. So over 17 plus years, you know what's happened? Somebody has made me mad right before I stepped to the pulpit. They just said something and it flipped my switch. Brother Kyle, Brother Kyle, Brother Kyle, yes. Brother Kyle. You say, who was it? Well, we'll start with Susie. She has made me so mad a few times right before we got to church. And I've thought to myself, woman, I've got to try to preach, and you have just lit my fuse. I mean, You know this, don't you, baby? Yes. Now, see, we're not fighting right now, so we can smile about it. But it's not funny when it's going on. 
There have been times I have stood before you and I have preached and I would say by the grace of God it wasn't a total bomb. It wasn't just a total egg that was being laid. And so I was reminded of this. Yep, there have been some times Susie has made me mad. Oh, she's made me mad. Or I just got done disciplining the kids and then I've got to walk inside and I've got to be smiling and I've got to be acting like I'm happy to be here. And you know what? It can be done, but it's not the way it ought to be done. But just so you know, it's not just Susie and the kids who have done it. You know, I mean, you can understand this. Sometimes there are people who are not as sensitive and as wise as you are with their actions and their words. And so they they do some things and it's like, are you serious? How many times have we been over this? How many times have we gone over this? I've talked to you about this. How is it that this is is still happening? Yeah! And, 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 you know, I just... I'm angry. There are times that I have come to church on a Tuesday morning. I'm not going to rehash this for a long time. I don't want you to get nervous like, oh, great, here we go, down this road again. No, I'm just saying, there have been times I've come into church on a Tuesday morning and I'm still chewing on what happened on a Sunday and I'm still frustrated with it. Am I able to still get my work done? Am I still able to do what needs to be done? Yes. But friends, that is a miserable, miserable way to approach the work of the Lord. And what I'm trying to submit to you this evening is this, is this reality, this truth, that it's not just the pastor who is involved in the work of the Lord. It is you, if you are involved in the work of the Lord, that you too can do so with the disposition and a spirit and an attitude that is not right. And at the end of the process, I will tell you this from personal experience, though you probably already know it, that it robs you of the reward and the satisfaction that you otherwise enjoy when you're doing the work of the Lord with the right attitude and the right spirit. I would suspect that every Sunday school teacher at least once has taught a Sunday school class half irritated with someone else. Brother Chad, you just smiled and you don't normally respond and you just smiled and shook your head. All right, Rachel's the issue, isn't she? Yes, okay. I knew I I got that vibe. I did. I got that vibe. Yeah. Your face matches Brother Daryl's tie right now and it's pretty red. I suspect... I suspect that it's happened to every Sunday school teacher at least once. I suspect that it's happened to every junior church teacher, not just Brother Mike. I suspect that there have been people who have, you know, sung specials, and while they're singing about the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, whatever it may be, in the back of their mind they're thinking, I'd like to kill someone right now. Because something just happened that they didn't appreciate. Let's be honest. Sometimes you can get bent out of shape with another church member, can't you? 
And you're coming to church and you're being faithful to church and you're where you're supposed to be, but because the church member said something or because the pastor said something or did something, you know, you're coming to church and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you're not of a right spirit and a right disposition, so you're doing the right thing. And it's not as though the quality of your service is suffering or lacking, but you know as well as I do, when you try serving the Lord and your attitude and your spirit is not what it's supposed to be, you miss out on the joy that is otherwise received in serving the Lord. And I understand, I really do, I understand how Satan, it seems, likes to attack in the work of the Lord. I understand that Satan enjoys nothing more rattling the preacher right before he gets up to preach. He enjoys nothing more than rattling the Sunday school teacher emotionally and mentally right before they're supposed to teach that class or the one who sings the special or before we go out on visitation. I understand that that happens and we have to guard against it. And as best we can, by the grace of God, we've got to get over it and we've got to get through it and we've got to get, again, just get past it. But here's what I'd like us to consider for just a moment and that is this, is we cannot afford that to become a part of who we are. See, the scripture would seem to indicate that this was maybe an ongoing problem that Barak had because it was a 52-day process. How long did he struggle with his attitude? How long did he struggle with his spirit? How long was he dealing with emotions that he should not have been dealing with? You say, I'm not following you. Well, let me just throw a couple more things out here for consideration, and, and then we'll be done. I know of pastors. I know of pastors, not, not personally, not real closely, but I've, I've known of them, and I know people who have known them well, and here is what their testimony has been. They've been angry the last ten years. They've just been angry. The church hasn't done what they thought the church was going to do. The people aren't performing the way the pastor thinks they ought to be performing. They're not getting the recognition that they think they ought to be receiving. And so they spend years and years and years of ministry angry and bothered and irritated and upset. And you know who's missed out the most in a situation like that? The pastor. And I also know people, I know situations, I know stories where people have come to church and they've stayed faithful, they've stayed involved, they've stayed a part of the ministry, but they have done so with anger and bitterness and resentment toward the preacher, toward other people. And you know who's missed out the most in a situation like that? The person who decides to try to serve the Lord with the bad attitude. I know of a situation. I know of a person. I could give you her name right now. I know the pastor in the church. He's been there 17 plus years because he went to that church just a couple of months before I came here. 
There is a lady in the church who is still mad at him and mad at the whole situation because she feels like her daddy, who was the former pastor, got done wrong, even though he's been dead now for 14 or 15 years. I mean, it, it, it's just, it, it is her testimony. She's still angry. She's still mad. She's still bitter. She's still full of resentment. And you know who the most miserable person is in that situation? It's not the pastor because he kind of knows he didn't force the other man to retire and he knows he didn't kill the other pastor. So it's not him who's struggling. It's not him who's hurting. It's the woman who is trying to serve the Lord with the wrong attitude and the wrong spirit with that wrong disposition. So tonight, as best I can, I, I know, again, it may seem a little odd. It may seem a little foreign to our thought process to say, no, that, that couldn't be what that means. No, that, that's not what it means. Okay, search it out and, and prove it wrong. But I'm just saying... I know from experience, you can try to do the work of the Lord angry. And if you're honest, you know that you have tried at some point, most of us anyway, you've tried to do the work of the Lord with a wrong attitude and a wrong spirit. It can be done, the work can still be done well on many occasions, but I can promise you, you will not find the reward that you would otherwise know in serving with the right spirit. And so just because we come to church and we wear a smile and we act like everything's okay, it doesn't mean that it is. So what do you need to do? Well, if it's a fake smile, if it's a fake approach, you probably ought to say, Lord, help my attitude. Because it stinks right now. God, help me to get over whatever it is that's frustrated me, that's bothered me, that keeps me from enjoying coming and serving and being a part of the ministry. God, help me to get over it because really at the end of the day, I'm hurting myself more than I'm hurting anyone else. It's just something to think about because there's really no reward in serving with the wrong spirit. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to consider what appears to be the pretty overwhelming evidence of the attitude and the spirit of this man named Barak. God, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded that even in the work of the Lord and the things that you have called us to do and to accomplish, I pray that you'd help us to realize tonight that we can do it with the wrong attitude, we can do it with the wrong spirit, and we may even do the job well. But we're missing out terribly when our attitude is not at all what it should be. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight who's been struggling with their attitude about things that we may not even begin to know, I pray that tonight would be the night they'd get their attitude squared away, that they'd get their attitude right. And, God, that they could begin enjoying the ministry of service once more, like they once did. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.